I really wish we were listening to NPR right now. I was listening to it on the way over here, and yeah. I was like, should I sit in the car for? I know. I might minutes? put it on my computer <laughs> the, when I'm working. The, don't they call that like the driveway moment or whatever? Yeah. <laughs> You're listening to the radio, and it's just something that's so I think that people so only hard. do that for NPR because that's how good it is. Yeah. And for us, our podcast. Obviously. I'm actually talking underwater. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Talking Underwater. One water, one podcast. I'm Bob Crossan, Managing Editor for Water and Waste Digest. I'm Amy McIntosh, Managing Editor of Water Quality Products. <laughs> And I'm Warren Baldus, managing editor of Stormwater Solutions. So Amy's been out of the office for about a week and she's struggling to get back into the swing of things naturally. So I don't know where I am or what time zone I'm in or what universe. Which way is up. (laughs) Um but we're happy she's back. Um, just in time for this podcast to drop. <laughs> um, there's been a lot going on in the water world. In the yeah, water world? you know what I'm trying to say. Yeah, the in the water industry. Industry yeah. in the last month. Um, we have a few news items to cover um, that are related to some one water stuff. Um, I guess the first one we'll go over is... Um, in um, Massachusetts, they need to, um, they're holding a public meeting to um, limit and reduce nitrogen that has been flowing into um, the coastal waters of the, I think it's Slocum River Estuary System. Um, reportedly, there's been, um, uh, because of the way that the wastewater and stormwater has been handled in the area, there's been a lot of nitrogen flowing into the waterways, um, also potentially from like fertilizer per mm-hmm. usual, and um, this is you know causing algae and um, depleting oxygen, extra and excess nitrogen, which is just pretty much just hurting the marine life and making it a bad mm-hmm. coastal environment for everyone. Um, and this is something I think we're seeing again and again and again. Mm-hmm. Um, the handling of stormwater and wastewater often means that all these excess nutrients are hurting yeah. the waterways, yeah. which hurts us then too. I think most notably is like the Chesapeake Bay hit, was yes. really active with this. And yes. Um, I think because they were so active and people started recognizing that, especially in the Northeast. I mean, we're talking about Massachusetts here as well. So they probably saw that and were like, Mm. oh, we're having a similar problem. Mm -hmm. We should probably discuss the total maximum daily loads as well. Well, it's interesting with, it's these trends that keep popping up like with lead. Mm -hmm. Finally, Mm -hmm. when Flint got enough media attention, then towns all over the country are popping up like, wait, we have that problem too. We have that one. We Mm -hmm. have that one. It's the same here. So, uh, really raises the alarm about how we need to protect our water resources. Mm-hmm. Um, and then another news item I wanted to bring up was um, related to our day zero coverage, which is covering water scarce regions, um, which is um, M- Martin County, Kentucky, has declared a state of emergency because they have um, very low drinking water reservoir um, levels. So. 
no good. Um. <laughs> that one's interesting too because it's not really drought related. Where right. that's a lot of like the the water scarcity we see is drought related, but this is actually a mechanical failure. Mm-hmm. So um, it just goes to show how we rely on this infrastructure, mm-hmm. and not only is it drought related, but if our infrastructure mm-hmm. breaks is out of commission, then we don't get any water. It's not. It's not simple it's complicated mm-hmm. um yeah and it's all a matter of funding too mm-hmm. um this news item we have on our website on wqp's website um says you know that they've been it's going to cost to fix the pump and in the meantime they're um they're renting pumps which is driving them into debt so very expensive and you know beyond the pump thing um the district is in debt from other other uh issues yeah so it's not looking good but that's you know once you get past like we said the the weather related drought related water scarcity issues there's funding which is difficult to come Mm -hmm. by and all these other that's always the problem Mm -hmm. funding and yeah and when it comes to that funding side um we've seen some i guess some movement on water infrastructure recently but there's still like an infrastructure bill in in full has not really mm-hmm. been passed. No. Um, so we are going to, I think this will be something that we'll see more often is that, especially in areas that are struggle with funding or like mm-hmm. struggle to bring in the property taxes they need to make the repairs they need, th- this equipment is not cheap. I mean, mm-hmm. it, right. you know, like it's going to, it's going to hurt some of some real some rural areas right. like way harder than major cities and whatnot because they just yes. don't have the capital mm-hmm. and the, here's the question what will it take to mm-hmm. get this funding like when will people wake up mm-hmm. that like we need this yeah it's worth funding um and last but not least this will be a nice segue into the rest of our discussion today um New, Jer- New Jersey American Water held a ribbon cutting event for a project on um, their water treatment plant in Bridgewater, New Jersey, um, that's protecting the facility from floodwaters during heavy rain events, which is um, so, so apparent if you look at areas where major storm events have hit, such as Houston mm-hmm. and um, now the Carolinas. Um, you have to protect the water treatment plants from these major events mm-hmm. or else nobody will have drinking water for especially, a while. Especially on the coasts, yes. yeah. right? So um, today, oh, and also I wanted to mention that all these news items, um, like Amy mentioned, are available on our websites. So if you want to read more, just check out the sites. Um, but today we we're going to start off by um, talking about Hurricane Florence a little bit and its effects. Yep. So I, I suppose we should just talk kind of more generally about it first, yes. but it was a massive storm. There's a lot of lead up to it and a lot of discussion about it um, in the lead up that it was going to be one of these massive storms on the, mm-hmm. on the level of Harvey. Mm-hmm. Um, as it approached the coast, however, the winds got downgraded, but the water problem still it remained. It just hovered mm-hmm. yeah. and dropped a ton of rain. Yeah. So the hev- the strong hurricane winds that normally are up- that that's normally where a lot of the damage mm-hmm. to structures comes mm-hmm. from oftentimes that was not so much the issue at this time but there was a lot of water dropped I, I believe that 
looking at this article on our site, um, there was eight trillion gallons of rain supposedly in that oh my area, God, that's crazy. Um, which was an, an which is enough that's to fill crazy. that's enough to fill twelve million Olympic swimming pools. Oh, that's um, all. <laughs> so much water. So, uh, which. Yeah. Uh, uh, th- this equates to around 50 inches of rain in certain areas. Uh-huh. So it's, I mean, it's not that far off from Houston. Houston was, I think, 52 or something like that, 52 mm. inches. So, mm. I mean, it in terms of yes. water, it's on the level. Like, it, yes. we're talking the same level of devastation to communities, to water treatment plants, to wastewater treatment right. plants, um, and to riverbanks. Uh, one of the big things that I saw online that the Weather Channel, it, this kind of went viral, they did this really cool augmented reality thing to mm-hmm. highlight just how much the water level rises mm-hmm. during a storm surge. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was just really fascinating. They talked about the areas it'll affect, and then the guy's like, we wanted to show you what this looks like. So they had this static image of, or like static video of a street corner in, a Car- in the Carolinas somewhere, mm-hmm. and then they used augmented reality to show the level, the three-foot level, the six-foot level, the nine-foot level, and above. Yeah. And it's i think everyone kind of knows what that what those heights mm-hmm. are like in relation to how tall they are yes. or buildings they go into but visually seeing it represented right. may, it makes so much more of an impact cuz you see it next to homes right. and you see just how much damage that could cause and we shared that on twitter i think yes correct okay so that's yeah. still there yeah. um but yeah the storm surge was huge yeah well and that's the interesting thing about hurricanes too is that you you know they give they assign categories to hurricanes based on the severity and you know people hear certain numbers and they're right. like I can stick that out or whatever but those categories are based on wind they're not based right. on the water right. so people think they can stick out you know a category three or four or whatever mm-hmm. but because they've done it before but they don't really anticipate right. the the floods that are going to come along with it and that's not again that's not represented in the right. Classification. And I heard a reporting on NPR where they, some officials had heard from people saying, I stuck out this storm Mm -hmm. in the past. I've, like Amy just said, but the officials are like, no, this is worse. Like, this is different. We heard that Mm -hmm. a lot with Harvey, too. Yes. Because they had so many floods and so many hurricanes in such a short period of time that people, Mm -hmm. again, thought they could stick it out, and it was not good. So the flooding was expected up to 10 feet in some places. Mm-hmm. But luckily that has been down or lowered to two to four feet. Mm-hmm. That's so still a lot of water. Still a lot of water. Um, that's, a, that's enough to move cars still, yes. right? And people are still being urged to evacuate because mm-hmm. of uh, um, the flooding and um, it's the hurricane may be over, but it, its effects, as we know, linger for a long time after. Um, and uh, one, I saw an article from Time, um, particularly about a wastewater treatment plant that um, stopped working because of the hurricane, and now this untreated wastewater was being discharged into a tributary that feeds into the river, and mm-hmm. then, again, I'm seeing reports of now the rivers are starting to drain, and all this dirty, dirty flood water is draining into the um, ocean, and um, mm-hmm. it's just now we're going to start seeing the effects. Yeah. Yeah, and and on that note of like the contamination and whatnot, right. one of the big stories that has become become national is the effects of the flooding in relation to 
hog farms mm-hmm. and coal ash ponds. Mm-hmm. So the Carolinas, there, there are still quite a few coal ash ponds in, in the Carolinas, and with this flood water, I mean, you're talk, it just it's just mixing in. It's yeah. becoming a much larger coal ash pond. So that stuff's just going to move around, and that's really that that's just going to spread toxicity yes. basically. Yes. Um, but the ho- hog farmers were they were draining like waste lagoons in, in anticipation of yeah. Hurricane Florence because they knew of this this mm-hmm. flooding problem. Um, and 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 again on the on the one of the other sides of that same coin that. NPR again going back to NPR yeah. talked about was kind of the ethical issues involved with the hog farms and right. whatnot because people take like their dogs their cats mm-hmm. uh, birds mm-hmm. fish like they take all their pets and stuff but when it came to these hog farms some of them how do you take that many animals and they sh- they they made a really interesting point about the ethical nature of how you treat yeah. those animals on that farm because for some of those far- like even for some of those farmers it could be a pet pig, yeah, and it's it change it kind of changes the dynamic there, and I thought that was I thought that was interesting, but it definitely raised a lot of logistical issues. Yeah, how do you transport all those pigs? Do you have the transportation capabilities? Mm-hmm. Where are you gonna bring them? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think a, a lot of the response has been figure it out because mm-hmm. it's it seemed at least from what I've seen, people have been kind of are very upset about the treatment of those animals mm-hmm. so yeah so for the for those waste lagoons um but we haven't we have an article on our site about this uh that hog farmers were pumping liquid waste out of the, lagoon, the lagoons and spraying fertilizer on nearby fields to create more room in the pits for potential rainfall mm. so those efforts were basically to lower the water levels so that it could accommodate more, more water <laughs> so um where are they draining the pits to um does it say I'm not sure that it says here. I'd be curious to hear about that. Yeah, the, there is a quote from from someone here that uh, we try to pump down as much as we can, but after that, it's kind of in God's hands. We're kind of at the mercy of the storm. This is a quote from Marlo Vaughn of Ivy Spring Creek Farm so in Goldboro, North North Carolina. Yeah, everyone's at the mercy of the storm. So, yeah. So anyway, if, if you are in that area, really, our, our our hearts go out to you guys. We hope that you are safe. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have anything that you can share with us, please do. Um, we, we'd love to hear from you and make sure that, yeah. every, that you guys are doing okay down there. Once you're safe, if you have photos or videos, we'd love to see them. Mm-hmm. And uh, for me, I was right before the hurricane hit, I was um, getting ready to head to the Water Quality Association's Mid-Year Leadership Conference um, in Hilton Head, South Carolina, <laughs> which... Um, you know, up until it was basically a couple days, maybe a week or so before the conference, um, the hurricane didn't really seem like much of a threat at all, or it really wasn't on anybody's radar. It was more of a tropical storm in the middle of the ocean. And then the weekend before, um, we got an email, I think it was the Sunday before, we got an email from WQA saying, we're keeping an eye on the situation, we'll let you know. Um, and then later that day, they sent another email that said the conference was canceled, and they did the whole conference virtually, which they've never done before. They've right? never done that, yeah. They um, so basically, it was I believe they said like a forty-eight to seventy-two hour like turnaround where they had to move all of their because it's it's basically a conference with committee meetings, board uh, mm-hmm. meetings, things, task forces. 
things like that. And then they do a big industry update luncheon with um, different heads of different committees speaking to everyone. So they, um, yeah, they basically had to coordinate all these virtual meetings with everyone. Um, and the day of their industry update where they, like I said, bring everyone together, like different heads of committees and directors and whatnot, um, they actually reached out to me and asked if we wanted to go to their office and see them kind of behind the scenes put this conference together because they're they're local to us. They're in Lyle, Illinois. Um, so we did. We uh, Our associate editor, Lauren, and I went to Lyle and we watched them put on their industry update and it was fascinating to see behind the scenes because mm. you know they had people they had people in Minnesota they had people in Wisconsin they had people all over um, the country and they had people in their office um, on and it was all on webcam they had people on webcams with slides and stuff and it was mm-hmm. this huge technical thing that it was fascinating to see um, and then we got to afterwards we got to sit down with Polly Undesser their executive director and she spoke to us a little bit about what it took to put this conference on. So we have that interview for you right here. Well, thanks so much for having us here today. Um, this was really cool to see kind of behind the scenes. Um, for people who might not know, can you explain a little bit what the Mid-Year Leadership Conference is? The WQA Mid-Year Leadership Conference is really the meeting of the minds of the leadership within the water treatment industry. We like it to be a nice intimate gathering where we can look at the latest updates in the industry and talk about issues and how do we progress forward with those issues or even opportunities. And today we're here at your office in Lyle, Illinois and not in Hilton Head. Uh, can you kind of explain what happened there and what kind of led to the decision to cancel the conference this year? Absolutely. We had planned our mid-year leadership conference in Hilton Head, South Carolina, and up to a week before we had fully planned on being there and staff were ready. We had our airlines, our hotels, everything booked, everything is planned. And then the weekend before, we started watching the news about a tropical storm starting. And it started out as Tropical Storm Florence and started to progress up into a hurricane. Um, So we had to make the decision to cancel it. There was no option. It was for the safety of everybody involved. Um, So we did change our plans then and said, well, we still need to move the industry forward. We still have a lot of business to discuss and, again, opportunities and issues that are on the table. So we decided we have to have it a virtual event. And how do we make that happen? And so how did you make that happen? What were, were kind of like the logistics in setting something like that up? So trying to set up a virtual event within about 48 to 72 hours was amazing teamwork with the WQA staff and all of our volunteers. If it wasn't for our committee chairs, our board members, all of our task force members really helping us to pull everything together and be as prepared as possible, we would never have been able to do that. Um, But the WQA staff bringing in all of our IT resources, our marketing and communications, Uh, We have logistics support. Everybody really just pulled together and in an amazing way to almost work around the clock for that 48 to 72 hours to pull it off as a virtual event. And, uh, you know, all of the content has gone really well and we're excited. It's been an exciting and uh, fun way to throw a (laughs) mid-year. Great. 
And what has the response from your members been? So far, everything that I've heard has been kudos, kudos, kudos to everybody. I have not heard one negative thing. Uh, Everybody was happy in the decision because it was in the best interest Mm -hmm. of the safety for everybody. Um, But it, it also was, you know, support from the fact that they wanted to move everything forward for the industry. And they also were happy to have that virtual event because they knew they could still be engaged, even though we weren't in Hilton Head and we can make sure to move all of that forward. Um, It's even gone so far that we've had a lot of our attendees and others say that they want to donate their registration fees, activity fees, or sponsorships to the Research Foundation or WQA, um, which has just been a huge generosity on their part because this has been a significant event for everybody. Mm -hmm. And to show that generosity, I, I just couldn't be more appreciative to anyone. That's great. Um, And I know this conference is, like you said, to move the industry forward. What are some of the the industry themes that you've seen come up so far during the conference? Uh, Biggest themes for us, we've been talking about uh, the government side of things a lot. There have been U.S.-China tariff wars going on this year, and it's having a huge negative impact on the industry. Uh, So that's one that has definitely been a theme across a lot of our committees, task forces, and even at the board level. On the other side, we have the safety and health impacts of new contaminants that are coming up. So we have the PFOA, PFOS, and the whole 3,000 to 4,000 compounds that are lumped in that whole grouping. Um, So we've had a lot of discussions about those, bringing the minds together about how can our industry work with EPA on moving those forward. Um, So a lot more content has been discussed, but those are definitely two of the themes we've talked about quite a bit. So what would you say are some of the overall lessons you've learned from this whole experience, both from um, a physical event side and from a virtual event side? There are so many lessons that can be learned when you go through an event shift like this, from an in-person to a virtual Uh, One of the first was just the amazing teamwork of the team here at WQA that was apparent right away. Everybody jumped into an all-hands-on-deck without even needing to be asked. Same thing from the membership and everyone that we work with, everybody just jumped into it. So as far as lessons learned, I would say I would do it again because I know that engagement and support is there from the industry as well as from staff and, and that really helped pull things off. Uh, If I was asked, would we change anything if we had to do this all over again? I would like a little bit more time in planning. Uh, 48 to 72 hours is a little tight to pull everything together, even though we did it very well. Um, More planning time would be great. And other than that, we definitely have a few tweaks uh, with the logistics or the IT side that while it looked seamless on camera and everything in the background, uh, the team was really pulling together to make it look that seamless. Mm -hmm. And so there's a few tweaks that I'm sure we would do in the future. Well, you know, you invited us here this afternoon, and we really appreciate that. And it was really cool to see it um, kind of behind the scenes. And everyone looked very cool, calm, and collected from our our side. So um, it was really impressive to see you guys pull that off with so many people remote and so many people here. So that was really great. So that's all I have. Um, Thanks so much again for inviting us here this afternoon. Yeah, thank you for coming. We're happy to have you here uh, to really be able to tell the behind the scenes story because it's an amazing story. And if it wasn't 
a great industry that it is, mm -hmm. we would never have been able to pull this off. So I really appreciate you guys being here to help us tell our story. Okay, thank you so much. So, so that was um, our chat with Polly. Uh, if you want to see more um, from this virtual event, we actually have a video on WQPMag.com that uh, we put together after our visit. We spoke with Polly. We also spoke with um, Linnea Schleier, their meeting services director. So um, yeah, go check out that video. And there's some, you can kind of get a, a glimpse of what it looked like behind the scenes, especially if you were someone who was watching virtually, if you're interested in seeing that. So it was pretty cool. Um, so we'll preview some of our, our next issues for you guys. Um, October, yeah, this is crazy. <laughs> um, uh, it's almost the end of the year, which is wild. Um, so, uh, Bob, do you want to kick it off? Yeah. So, for my October issue, our lead story this month is on virtual reality. Um, I got, I had uh, an engineering firm approach me about virtual reality and how they're using it in their firm to create what uh, water and wastewater treatment plants and. How, how virtual reality can be used, kind of talking about the potential for it. So we have a, a it's a pretty big spread in the, in the issue and it's really cool, really fascinating. Um, as, some, I, I, as a young man, I play a lot of video games and virtual reality is like so, so cool in that regard. But seeing how this can apply in business settings is like even more fascinating in some ways because they, they can design all this stuff in CAD software and then you can virtually walk around the entire plant. You can see one-to-one -one ratios of how many feet are between buildings, where your staircases are, all that kind of stuff. So when it comes to actually building, before you even put a shovel in the dirt, you've basically made almost all of your change orders. So you're cutting down on a lot of expenses later on down the line. Mm -hmm. So it's really, it's really fascinating. That, that's a, that was a highlight for my issue for sure. For WQP, this feels like a lifetime ago because this issue was done so long ago. Um, but our our lead story, our cover story, um, was written by our associate editor Lauren Estes, um, and it's on emerging emerging contaminants. Um, that was a big topic during this WQA mid year uh, industry update, and also at the um, Eastern Water Quality Association show that I was at last week. These emerging contaminants, PFAS and Gen X, um, they're really, you know, it's, it's an industrial contaminant that comes from the manufacture of like Teflon and um, firefighting foams and things like that that have contaminated the groundwater. And people are just now kind of learning more about them and finding these contaminations and stuff. And so the article is basically about how the POU and POE industry can kind of take this opportunity to um, treat these contaminants because if you're going to build these treatment processes into treatment plants, that's going to take years. Mm -hmm. So for the time being, uh, POU and POE are kind of the, the opportunity to, to treat this stuff. So um, definitely want to check that out. We also have a, an article from Tim Miles on millennials, <laughs> which I always, as a millennial, uh, these things kind of give me pause sometimes because mm. that's a nice way to put I, it. <laughs> the way the way people t tend to speak about millennials can um, be a little disconcerting sometimes. But 
uh, Tim's article is really awesome. There's one quote that was my favorite, and we used it as a pull quote, and that is, despite what you may believe, millennials' <laughs> top concerns are not goat yoga and ping pong tables. You know what they care about? Health insurance. <laughs> That's my favorite part. Right. So <laughs> yes. check that out. We also have our commercial water section in this issue. Um, and there's a pretty cool article in there about, normally we have you know case studies and things like that about um, commercial water projects and stuff. But there's one in this issue about how businesses can translate their residential water treatment skills to the commercial sector. Um, things like you know sizing systems and different treatment concerns and things like that. So... That's October for WQP. Nice. Um, for stormwater, our special section this month is on low impact development. Um, and uh, one of the stories is on um, installing bioretention and potential errors, errors that you might make and how to avoid those. Um, and our cover story is about a community-based public-private partnership um, that was used in Prince George's County and how that allowed them to improve their failing infrastructure. And um, it was, it's a very, very interesting story. This is not a very common P3, um, especially not in stormwater to my knowledge, um, but it's growing. And um, this is a great case study that captures how it works and how it works well. Um, I also just attended P3 Boot Camp in Chicago, and this was one of their featured case studies that they presented as a good example. So um, I highly suggest uh, reading more about it in the magazine. Um, and uh, also this month we have a story on um, a smart sewer system in Kansas City. Um, Bob and I, particularly um, on the wastewater and the stormwater side, are keeping our eyes and ears peaked for smart water because it is a growing trend mm-hmm. um and uh so this is um you know we're starting to see it more and more so that's yeah. another good one and if you hear good projects on it please Let send us, us some some information we're, we're yeah. looking for some more content on that front so we'll be at WEFTEC next week um, next week already week. monday <laughs> monday <laughs> um and uh, one thing that we're hosting as our top projects event. Yeah, so Monday night we have uh, the Water and Waste Digest and Industrial Water and Waste Digest will be presenting their top projects for t- 2018. Um, there are 10 for WWD, there are five for IWWD, and we will also be honoring our industry icon who was um, interviewed and featured in the September issue of the magazine. So that's our Monday night. That's going to take up a lot of our time. And we will, I believe we're going to be making some video from that. So look forward to that. Um, And then also at the show, we do have some planned interviews Mm -hmm. that we're going to do for the podcast. So you can look forward to some information from the show floor as well. So I know that Amy has set up something on that front. Yeah, we're going to meet with um, some folks from the Water Council at the Wisconsin Water Innovation Pavilion. Um, just to kind of see, you know, what's going on over there. Um, they do have, I believe they do have some new um, initiatives and things that they want to talk about. So um, they say they're making a few announcements. We don't know what those announcements are, but you can find <laughs> out on the podcast. <laughs> we're going to be talking to them. So Yeah. Um, and we'll also be doing show wrap-up videos each night mm-hmm. like we usually do. Mm-hmm. Um, so keep an eye out for those. 
Yeah. Um, and also Tuesday's my birthday, no big deal. So just <laughs> everybody has a birthday. Yeah. <laughs> but not everyone loves theirs as much as I do. Um, and anything else about Left Tech that we were forgetting? Um, I think that's about it. Okay. Um, yeah, we, keep up with the the day end wrap up videos. You can see kind of what we're doing on a day to day to day basis and hear what we're finding on the ground floor when yeah. we're in New Orleans. So. And then just in oh my gosh, like less than two months and a month and a half the stormwater solutions conference and exhibition is in november um registration is still open and we're actually having a special 99 dollar discount right now um it's only lasting until october 15th um but that's full registration for only 99 dollars. so um definitely recommend taking advantage of that and um we'll be presenting our top project winners at that event for stormwater solutions so keep an eye out and of course, last bit of housekeeping, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, things that you want to talk to us about, things that we should probably bring up on the podcast, you can email us at talkingunderwater at sgcmail.com. Mm -hmm. You can leave comments on all of our websites. You can follow us all on Facebook and Twitter and message us through that as well for Water and Waste Digest, Stormwater Solutions, and Water Quality Products. Um, so yeah, please do get in touch. Uh, it's yeah. really easy, we're, we're receptive and we're looking for some more audience interaction. That'd be really cool. We're cool. Yep, yeah. and if you're at Weft Tech, stop by booth 4028. That's Water and Waste Digest booth. Um, we'll all be there though, representing all the magazines. So come say hi. Yeah. Okay, see you then. See you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.